No, I'm, uh, we've been dealing with demons and the, the, the spiritual world of Satan. And I hope you're not too tired of it. I hope you're getting interested in it to, to try to learn something about it because I find in my conversations a lot of people who find themselves in church every Sunday morning have no idea about how a demon operates and they deal with them every day, every day, every week. But they don't know that they're there. They don't know how to recognize them when they are. That was the interesting thing, I think, that when we dealt with Jesus and Peter, when Peter said something that Satan had, had tempted him to say, and Jesus said, Satan, get thee behind me. He was talking to Peter. Satan was using Peter's voice. But he had, he had influenced Peter to say this, and Jesus recognized it the minute he came out of his mouth. Maybe we'll never be that good, but we need to understand how the, the enemy of us works and to recognize him when he's in the house. Because the book says for us not to give a place for the devil. Don't set an extra place at the table for Satan. Because he just might walk in and sit down. But I think it's imperative that we know everything we can know about these. Because like I said, that's our and God and Jesus' main enemy. And there's a lot of them. I've entitled this today, Godly Choices, because so much of the battle that we fight as Christians is making a choice. And Satan's right there trying to make us make the bad choice. Something hit me this morning, and I got this idea that Satan is all about making God look bad. How does he, how does he do that? by making him look bad to us. Eve believed him and wanted to argue that he was right. And look what that situation caused. So let's see if we can learn a little bit more about these boogers this morning. Make you aware of who the enemy is and to tell all of us something about them. People ask the question frequently, how many of them are there? Well, there's one place in the Bible that talks about how many. We see that God created so many angels that it said there was too many to count. But there was over a hundred million. Now, if there's more than a hundred million angels, and a third of them fell with Satan, so there's too many demons and angels to count. But there's got to be at least 33 million demons. Now, you get them spread out through the world, 
One's not too far away from anybody. But the good way I look at it is for every demon, there's two angels. So that's good. But that's as as close as we can come to how many there are. But the Bible says that there are so many. That word that I used a couple of weeks ago, ubiquitous, I'd never heard that before. But it means that there's so many of them that it makes Satan look like that he's all-powerful like God is, that he can do anything, anywhere, and everything at the same time. But he's not like that. Satan does not have those qualities. He can only be at one place at one time, just like every other angel can. He's not like God. He can't be everywhere all the time. He just can't. He doesn't have those qualities. He was created as an angel, so he is limited to the, to the, to the qualities that angels have. They're Satan's representatives. They come with a set of, of set orders to destroy anything that God does that make him look good. They answer to Satan. His desire is, like I said, to destroy anything that makes God look good. And because God is in the people business, Satan's got to be in the people business too. That's us. So he's got to destroy anything that makes us look up to God. Anything that other people look up to us about. Well, those are nice people, you know, because they go to church and they're Christians and they believe in God. Well, now he's got to try to undermine that if he can. And that's the reason they come after us. If he's going to destroy the work of God, he's got to destroy us. John 10.10 says that Jesus says about Satan, the thief cometh not to but steal, to kill, and to destroy. That is Satan's three primary goals. And Jesus says... If he's here, that's what he came to do. You can count on that. So wherever he goes, that's what he's about. But now there's something else we need to understand too. As far as Christians go, Satan has got to have God's permission to do anything to him. He's got to have God's permission to do anything to you and I. I think we'll have enough time. If you will, please, turn to Job 1. I want to run over this a minute, just just with you, to show you something about what Satan is all about. Now understand, this is a one-time deal. This happened to Job. It could have happened to anybody. But Job happened to be a rock star kind of in those days. He was the most perfect man in the world. And he was very wealthy because of it. 
And in Job chapter 1 and verse 1, this is what we see. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and shunned evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-donkeys and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. Here was a man, Job, that was the greatest man in the east because of all that he had and so many people in his household that it took to look after all the stuff he's got. Turn to verse 8 of chapter 1. Because for some reason I still don't understand it. I've done a lot of studying just on the subject. I still can't understand it. But as it was, one day when all the sons of God were in heaven with God, Satan was there too. And God asked Satan, What have you been doing? He said, I've been walking to and fro over the earth. And the Lord said unto Satan, verse 8, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and shuns evil? He bragged about Job to Satan. And look at what Satan told him. And Satan answered the Lord, verse 9, and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? You don't think he's getting something out of it? Hast not thou made a hedge about him? He said, God, you've made a fence around Job to keep, keep him protected from all bad stuff. And about his house and about all that he hath on every side, you protect everything he owns. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in his land. I mean, the man is, is a multi-multi-millionaire because of you, Lord, and the way you've treated him and what you've done to help him get everything he's got. Verse 11. Satan throws this at God. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. I want, I want you to notice something now that so many people I think have have a problem with Job. They're talking about what Satan has done to Job. Look what, Job, look what Satan told God. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. He says, God, if you will take away all this protection he's got and change the way you're dealing with Job, He'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has in thy power. He gave him the power to do whatever he wanted to do. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. In other words, you can do anything you want to with Job, just don't touch him. 
Everything he has, you can deal with, but don't bother him. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now look at this. Everything now has happened. Here's Satan. First time, he's got a good man. He's got a Christian. He's got a God believer. And he has permission to do with him whatever he wants to do. And there was a day in verse 13 when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the ashes feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell you. The Sabaeans, your enemies, he used the enemies Satan did. Used Job's enemies to take away all his oxen, 500 yokes, I believe. That'd be a thousand ox. And the donkeys were eating in the pasture alongside them, and they got all of them too. Now look, this seems like it's happening simultaneously the way they said here. Because he says, while he was yet speaking, Verse 16, there also came another fellow and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone am escaped to tell you. Lightning struck his sheep and killed every one of them. And the servants that were there tending to them. Happened at the same time this other thing was going on. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said the Chaldeans, made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away and slain all the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped along to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came unto another. All this happened at the same time, folks. Satan turned it all loose in the same hours. There came another and said, My, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smoked the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. A tornado blew the house down on all of them and killed them all, all your ten kids. Now look, all he owns is gone. A lot of his servants are dead. And his ten kids are dead. Now think about what would happen if that happened to somebody you knew about. Everything he's gone, he's got gone in a matter of an hour, hours, and his ten kids at the same time got blown away and killed by a tornado. Job said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He still didn't turn against God after all that happened to him in one day. 
verse 2, chapter 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. That's what he does every day. Seeking whom he may devour, First Peter says. And the Lord said unto him, Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and shuns evil, and still... He holdeth fast his integrity, though thou movest me against him. Satan moved God against Job. To destroy him without any cause. There wasn't any reason for me to do what I did to him. And Saint, Satan answered in the Lord and said, Skin for skin, Yea, and all that a man hath will he give for his life. You've kept me from bothering Satan, for Job. You told me to do anything with anything else, but you kept me off of him. God says, Oh, and Satan said, But put forth thine hand now, God, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. Do anything you want to him, but don't kill him. And Satan caused him to be covered with boils. Everybody know what a boil is? To be covered with them from the soles of your feet to the top of your head, the crown of your head. That's got to be the most misery it ever was. And and Job is sitting there completely undone with a piece of broken pottery scraping himself because he's itching and he's infected from one end to the other. The worst possible torment that a man could have. Then said his wife under him. Here's Job's wife now. She stood by and watched all this happen. Verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God. Go ahead and curse him. And die. She knew that if he cursed God, God would probably kill him. That's the way folks in those days believed. So now he's lost his wife. <laughs> She's taken the devil's side of the argument. Got all his kids gone. Every single thing he owns is gone. Now his wife has turned on him. And she said, you might as well just go ahead and curse God and die and be done with it. Verse 10, But Job said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He never said one thing, complained one bit about God. Now we find out later, 
And I know after I got hit with a tornado in 73, I went to my preacher and I was telling him, he was asking me about some of the things we were dealing with, and I told him, this is hard. He said, yeah, but did you know that he received his riches back like they were? I said, yes. I've been studying Job now for for several days, and I wound up studying Job for about six months. I wanted to understand everything about it I could. Because he took Job's possessions first and took his health second. He gave me type 1 diabetes, and three years later took everything I had. It was just the other way around. And he said, but do you know? I said, yeah, I know that he was restored all his wealth. But I'm going to tell you this. Those ten children that he had, that he had raised, it was grown. You think he had no relationship with them and they're all gone? Somebody said, yeah, they're in heaven. Yes, they are, but you can't sit and hug them and talk to them. But he did have ten more children, the Bible says, and they were better looking than the first ten. I don't know what that has to do with it, but that's what it says. He said, do you know how he restored his wealth? I said, no. He said, you need to go back and see how they did it. I might have told you all about that little sack that came from the church up here on the hill, the black church, with $37.35 in it, not one dollar bill. It was all pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters. They had gathered up an offering for me, and Jot Young up here brought it to my house in an old crumpled up number eight paper sack. And I had all the problems in the world trying to accept that because I knew that came from people that didn't have a lot. And I told my preacher that I'm having trouble with all this. People are are bringing me money to help me get back on my feet, and I've never accepted stuff like that. And he said, well, you know that he got his fortune back. I said, yeah, I read that. And he got his children back. Yeah. Well, he didn't get the same one, but he got ten more. Yeah. He said, do you know how it happened? I said, no, I didn't catch that. He said, well, go back and study it until you do catch it. And I went back. And all his neighbors gave him a big barbecue. And they brought jewelry and gold and silver. He got all his wealth back, the wealthiest man in the world, in one night at a barbecue. Because his neighbors brought all the jewelry and their money and stuff and gave it to Job and his wealth was restored in a matter of hours. That's the story that we always look at. But what I'm reminding you of, not what happened to Job, but what Satan's part was in it. When he got turned loose, that's the first account we have of him being turned loose on somebody. Now, I mean, he tempted Eve, but she still made the choice. Job had no choice. It was done to him by God. And he said without a cause, Job had never sinned that it would cause something like that to happen to him. 
It turns out, folks, and I want you to hear this now and understand it. It turned out that Job and God was in a bragging contest to see who was going to be able to have the biggest brag. And Job did all that suffer because God bragged on him. That was the extent, that was what he did. He was the, the victim of all of this because God was trying to make a point to Satan. Now, I don't know how much trouble you've had to live through. I don't know how many obstacles have been placed in your way as you travel through this life for the Lord. But I want to tell you this. God did that in front of us all. I just shared it with you. Now all of you know it. You don't have to read it into it. It's there. And I know now that God can do that with me. All I've got to do is for God to prove a point with me is to take away everything I've got and give me all kind of bad help. But since 1973, that's been on my mind. I got no complaints. It don't matter what happens. I got no complaints. I don't know what God was doing with me. I've asked him with tears in my eyes on my knees, why are you so rough on me? And he said, because you're so hard in it. <laughs> and that's the way it is with some of us. But what I want to show you in this account when Satan got turned loose a little bit, what did he do? Look at the extent he did to this one man. And when Jesus tells you that the only reason Satan comes is to steal and kill and destroy, he's not playing. Jesus is just as right as he could be. And whenever he comes, that's the reason he comes, is to do some kind of damage like this to somebody. That's what he's all about. And he's still out there. And he's still doing damage. Now listen to this. Satan can possess or hold all unbelievers. It talks about in Timothy that he can capture us at his will. He puts us in a trap and we stay there until he turns us loose if we're not saved, if we're not born again. He can possess you. He can make on you, make you do anything he wants you to do if you don't have Jesus. We need to understand that. Satan can only oppress or influence or entice or tempt us as Christians. Now sometimes the temptations are mighty big. I mean, you can get a new deal on an automobile that you can afford the down payment and then can't make the payments every month or put you in a strain with everything else you're doing. You can make a choice to do that and put your own self in a mess if you don't know what you can afford and what you can't. 
the lust that we have in our body, in the world, and Satan is using the world to try to entice us to get away from God. He's enticing us with things out here in the world that we'll put ourselves in such a mess that we can't enjoy our relationship with God because we want too much. We can make choices to make damage to ourselves from ungodly choices. That's how he gets into it. When you get in a place where you've got to make a decision, it doesn't make any difference whether it has anything to do with possession or money or whatever. It may be something you decide how to spend the rest of your life or how to get involved in this or that. But we can make a choice that will cause us trouble the rest of our life. You may want to turn to 1 John chapter 2. We'll learn some more about this. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John 2.15 He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, you read that, and it's in your mind. I just read, if I love the world too much, the love of God is not in me. Then all of a sudden I start wondering, what is loving the world too much? How do I know if I love the world too much? Do I replace God with something in the world? Do I want something in the world so bad that I go after it instead of going after God? For all that is in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is Satan. Please understand that. We'll see that in just a second. Satan and the world is the same word. Satan doesn't own hell. Satan owns the world. When he fell out of heaven, he fell to the earth, it says. He doesn't live in hell, never has. He will one day when God throws him into hell. But at this point, ever since we've known about Satan, he's lived on the earth. And he's changed it to where it works like he wants it to. It's upside down. (laughs) If you don't believe it, have a little problem with Social Security and try to get somebody on the phone to talk to him. Satan's got it all bottom side up. Turn on the news. You know better. You know it's not right side up. The government's got the world upside down and it's getting further upside down every day. You know that. Why do you think it is? Because this being that did what he did to Job is doing it to the world and to you and me. 
and the world passes away. And the lust thereof. If you don't have any world, you don't want nothing in the world. <laughs> it's not there for you to want. But he that doeth the will of God abide forever. We do. Doing the will of God. But it's amazing to me, being 80 years old, I was here when you had to have good credit to buy something on credit. And you had to make every payment or they come and got it. They got it now to where you can buy something without any paying any interest and you don't have to make a payment for three years. I saw it the other day. Three years before you make the first payment on it. Now you don't believe these folks are not working for the sake? That ain't God's way. God says don't take nothing from a man without paying him for it. And if you owe him for it, pay him before night falls. The world is running just like Satan wants it to. If you will, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. There is an explanation right here in the second chapter of Ephesians that everybody ought to, ought to read on a regular basis because it tells where we used to be and it tells where we are now. Now maybe some of you was like me and you got born again at 10 years old. How much damage can a, a, a person under 10 years old do? But then I've got to live with the fact that every mess I ever got into, I got into as a Christian. Because I had my mom and daddy to make sure I didn't get in no message before I was 10. But since then, it ain't been that way. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you, that's us, me and you, Christian, hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. You were a sinner and you were dead to God when you were. And he has quickened you. He's given you life. Quickened means to give life to. He's given you life with Jesus Christ the rest of your life. Who were dead in trespasses and sin. You weren't, wasn't Jesus' as Savior. You couldn't call him your Savior because you didn't believe. Verse 2, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of the world. Yeah, you walked just like the unsaved people out here that are walking around you right now. According to the prince of the power of the air. See that? Who runs the world? Who ran you before you got to be a Christian? Satan. He's the head of it all. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. What's disobedience? Not believing God. Who is the children that are walking in disobedience? Those that don't believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. The unbelievers out there. Among whom also we all had our behavior in times past. We acted just like them before we were saved. In the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. 
And they say that this is the two most important words in the whole Bible. I know I've got them highlighted. But God. Here we were walking around sinners doing what we wanted to do, doing whatever our mind told us to do, made us suggestions, and we did them. And we acted as heathen would act because we were heathen. And when we were all doing that, but God, two words, but God, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus. We have been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Satan can never hold us. He can never own us. He can't possess us like he does those who are not saved, like the unbelievers. As unbelievers, God let Satan do with us what he wanted to, just like he did with Job. But then, he gave us life with Christ. The two most important little words in the Bible, but God. But God. We didn't deserve it. No reason we should have been Christians. But God saw that he wanted to do that for us, and he did it. Verse 3, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We did what our mind wanted us to do. Now there's something you need to understand. If you'll think about it, Satan deals with our minds. That's where he comes. Now he's, he's into a little bit of circumstances. He might make you have a flat for this or he might kill a tree in your backyard for one reason or another. I don't know. He does stuff like that. But the most of the stuff that Satan does to us, and especially now that we're Christians, is to our mind. He tempts our mind to get us to make a decision that as permanently as that decision can make it, that we won't be successful with God. And he's good at it because the world is driving them flashing red corvettes and all by us and all. And we want them and we got to have them and all that kind of stuff. We want what's in the world. Now Satan is messing with our mind. And it says here that we did what our mind told us to do. As unbelievers it says in Timothy he controls our minds. And he can possess unbelievers and control their minds like he did the two guys in the graveyard and like everybody else we've seen. Scripture talks about their mind was possessed by a demon. Our minds control our behavior. 
So if he's got our minds, he's got our behavior. Everything we do, Satan's in control of it. Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were possessed of the devil. Now let me ask you this. I know I've been zeroing in on this about those people who have been under the control of Satan, those people who have been enticed by Satan, Let me ask you something. Doesn't it begin to seem like to you? I mean, it says that Jesus, most of what he did when he was here was dealing with people who were possessed of the devil. Where did he find all those people? Well, all you got to do is read the four gospels. Every time the boat hit the bank, there was five or six people there with somebody who was possessed of Satan. And every time he went to preach, there was somebody. he went to church and a guy in church says, I'm possessed by a demon. They were everywhere. And the only question I have to ask any of you is where are they now? If you know of some great something that has kept Satan from being bothering all of us people, especially Christians, especially people who want to be spiritual, it says they hang on to somebody who wants to be spiritual because they don't want you to be arrive at that place where you know and understand God so well that people call you spiritual. You know the Bible, and you know what's going on. Because Satan and demons are spirits and can't be seen, we have to recognize their influence on us and other people we have to recognize like Jesus did with Peter. When Peter started talking something that Satan should have been saying, Jesus called him Satan. He spoke right through Peter and was talking face to face with the devil because Peter wasn't saved and Satan was in him telling him, trying to get him to talk like he wanted him to talk. So if we're going to recognize Satan working in our midst with other people and with us, we're going to have to know something about the influence that, Jesus, that Satan does and recognize it when we see it. When people let you know that they're about to do something that, goes, that, that God tells you is not right, you have to influence them to do right, to choose the way of God. There are a lot of, we'll find ourselves a lot of times with our families, with our kids, trying to get them to do the right thing when they have told us they're fixing to do something that we've sensed that he's going to do nothing but hurt them. To tell them what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you, you need to tell them. To say to them, and all the things that you use to convince them, but in the end we know it's they that are going to make the choice. Have you been there when a grown young'un is making a choice and you know it's wrong, you know it's absolutely wrong, you've done everything you can to tell them it's wrong, and they're doing it anyhow, and you got to sit there and pray for them, hoping that when they do fall it won't be too big a thing, it won't hurt them too bad, they'll be able to get back up and go on. Yeah, you've been there. 
because none of our kids act exactly 100% like we want them to. So in the end, all we can do is pray that they will make the right choice like we have to pray that we will make the right choice. And if they make the wrong choice, that in that bad choice, God will give them a lesson in it that will keep them from making that bad choice again. Somebody told me years and years ago, there's nothing worse than going through trouble and not to come out of it knowing better. Do you get a lesson out of what you're in trouble with? Have you ever prayed like I have, Lord, get me out of this mess? And I promise you I won't make a decision to get me in a mess like this again. Go ahead and teach me something, Lord. Teach me now. Do it quick so I can get out of this mess that I have put myself in. So we do that. And then looking for a lesson so we can get out of the trap. We don't see until after we make the decision that we made a wrong one. That's the reason that I try to preach nearly every week that we bring God on all the choices that we make, that he keeps us from making a choice that will cause us trouble. So you see what Satan did to Job. And we're all subject. We're in the same place Job was. We're not perfect, but we belong to God. Let's pray. Father, teach us. There's some things in the Bible that are not pleasant at all. And God said he wrote every one of them and used an example for us that we might not do the same thing. God, I would pray that as many as you can, you would have know something about scriptures. Because only in knowing the list of the things that God approves of and God doesn't approve is the only way we can decide when someone is being influenced by Satan. So Lord, I'll pray like Jesus prayed in the 17th chapter of John and I'll ask you please, keep him away from us. Please keep him away from us. Don't let Satan bother us and get us so messed up that we don't know which way to go and what to do. And keep us, Lord, asking your approval for every decision we make concerning our lives, our kids, or anything that has any importance whatsoever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.